welcome back to dissecting popular IT nerds. We've we've had a little bit of gap in the in the time, and it's not. I don't want people to go fear mongering and think it's due to COVID nineteen. Part of it is. The other part of it is. Uh, just my own life in general. I just had to move my house, so we took we took a little bit of time off. And this is the first show back with with Brian. I don't want to miss. Please don't let me butcher your last name. Is it is it Blount? Yes, you hit it on the nose, Brian. All right. Oof. Phew. You can just wipe the sweat off my head on that. One. So, Chief Information Officer at Piedmont College, and we have done a little bit of educate. We have done a little bit in the educational space uh, back in the day, but not enough. In the when we were talking last. You said something that was really mind blowing to me, and you know, call it white privilege, call it whatever it is. A lot of my friends call me the the whitest guy they know because I I grew up like the son of a doctor playing golf and tennis and all of that. But you really you said something that was quite mind blowing, and that is for people that have never gone on to college. They don't know really know like where the process starts, you know, and, and for people that come from from a generation of people that have gone to college or come from people that haven't, that, you know, that have just gone to college. It's kind of just like this known thing. You go through high school, you apply to college, you go through this application process, you know, that you've got a stretch school or this school in the middle, and then you've got your safety school and all these different things. And it's just kind of this known process. But for someone that's never gone to college before, they're kind of left out there in the, in this unknown. It could be quite a, quite a stressful situation. I don't know how technology plays into this. Maybe we can link the two, but it really, it really kind of got me thinking on, you know, there's some work to be done there and technology can probably take a part in that, especially with just in general, everyone being able, either being stuck at home or not stuck at home, however you want to say it. But I just want to let you speak to that because that was something that, um, you know, that kind of really rang true with me. Oh yeah. You hit it right, right on the, Right on the mark, Phil. I mean, the term we use in education is the first generation. That first generation student is loosely defined as a student that has no direct relations that have attended college. No mother, no father, brother, sister, etc. And like you said a minute ago, that gap of knowledge and the lack of knowledge that first gens have, and it's not through their own fault, it's just the social acclimation. I mean, you and I are both the same way. We have families, we have siblings that have gone to college. So we knew the language. We knew the unwritten rules. We knew how to navigate the unwritten systems. It's just something you take for granted. Oh, yeah. They come in, even in their high school situations, they come in and they really don't have that support structure to help them even know how to fill out a FAFSA. In fact, if you say the acronym FAFSA, a lot of the first gens are going to look at you like you're speaking Latin. They have no idea what F-A-F-S-A means. Mm. But real quick to segue on uh, the technology, um, you know, perfect tie-in for a thing that we look at. And one of my transformational projects that I've got written up on my whiteboard here in the office, you know, digital transformation. Uh, in general, the way this digital transformation idea, how I can tie into the first-gen conversation we've got going right now, the point we're making. Yeah, digital transformation is not necessarily about digitizing information or digitalizing processes. You know, those are substructures and foundational components of a digital transformation. So, uh, maybe a good example is needed here. Digital transformation, an example, online education is not digital transformation. But the ability to award a micro-credential through an online education portal that's an example of digital transformation and let's just dig in there just for a second yeah why is that 
is it transformational because it's hard to do right now? Is it transformational because there's no way to really prove education has taken place? What is it? No, and the transformation is not necessarily hard to do. The transformational part is more of a paradigm shift. There is a um, nonprofit advocacy group called Educause. Their main purpose is to advance higher education through effective and efficient use of technology, to really be a proponent of technology and education. Um, Educause, loosely defined, they say digital transformation, it's a, uh, it's a paradigm shift in your culture, your workforce, and your technologies that enable institutions to increase and change their value proposition and to radically alter their business models. Well, yeah, so to tie up the thought we had just a minute ago on that first gen and how, um, how um, technology can help them, a digital transformation in that, in that example is the fact that you've got first-gen kids who are technologically um, comfortable, mm-hmm. adept, using mobile technology, using um, yes. social platforms. Mm-hmm. Uh, digital transformation, you've got a first-gen kid who's got to navigate these unwritten rules. Well, mm-hmm. instead of bearing your processes and your procedures on your college webpage that might be on the front page. It might be two or three yep. levels deep on this webpage. Mm-hmm. You put it out there on a social media platform that's easily accessible to the first-gen kid. You put it in language that they understand. You give them a tool that they can navigate easily, and you help them fill out a FAFSA. You help in them in reality, it, it, opens up, <clears throat> it opens up a whole world of – it could be fair. You could make it fair for smart kids that are after it, uh, that want to get after it to get uh, an education and make a difference. And not only that, use back to, again, if we're, if we're in this capitalistic money-making society that we're in, really use uh, technology as a business force multiplier and allow uh, kids to get an education, give them access to an education to really, really apply that and apply themselves. And I remember on the side, we were kind of, you know, it, 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 I don't know if I want to say bashing. No, I do. I think I do. I think I want to say bashing. The, you know, kind of the larger Ivy League colleges where you're going to pay, well, I don't know, 40, let's just say throw out a number, 40000 a semester, which is absolutely ridiculous to show up on campus, which can't even happen right now. And I'm sure people are saying, is it worth paying that? And I, I guess we would say yes, because you're still going to have access to the same tenured teachers. Uh, but it's definitely through business, you know, through digital transformation, you can definitely level the playing field. And I think we could make colleges compete more for maybe getting, I don't know if it's compete for getting the right students or compete for providing the better education uh, through and, and, and finding the right students. Maybe flip flop it a little bit versus, you know, the, we can, we can, Kids that kids can access education easier. They should be able to access it easier. And when you and when you say that, it might not be the fact that you know we're looking at the technology used to attract the better students to you know, give them a better education, but we're using tech, we're using this technology so that the uh, you know the tier three schools and we've got the the idea of tier one, tier two, tier three. Your tier ones uh-huh. include the Ivy League, but they're the you know they're the top elite schools that have waiting lists, they can survive. The one percenters. They're the yeah. one percenters. Yeah. And maybe even the 10 percenters, but yeah, the one percenters and the tier twos are these large state universities, research universities, some of the private mm-hmm. schools like Notre Dame. I mean, you've okay. got tier threes where we fall into, you know, the tier threes have no waiting list. They're dependent on tuition. So 
you know, the increasing the availability of the education, increasing the value of the product, that's paramount. But the technology also, we focus on the technology at a tier three level is, you know, that's going to let us keep the doors open, keep the lights on, keep the revenue stream coming, keep a viable industry for this community going. I mean, it's a livelihood of a region. Mm. Okay, what else, what else we got? What ha- the, the paradigm shift that is happening, how does that, there has to be some kind of ripple effect, butterfly effect, whatever you want to call it, but there has to be some kind of ripple effect to make the change happen, right? Everyone talks about Disney, uh, you know, digital transformation. Obviously, COVID-19 allowed, uh, made some people's like my job very easy for a guy that implements cloud voice and technology, oh, yeah. right? For a guy that does, you know, that was selling Zoom and, 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 and using Zoom and part of Zoom before anyone even knew what Zoom was, when Zoom was just a little baby and was... Uh, you know, pretty much doing, you know, business strategic partnerships with other VoIP companies and other VoIP companies were basically giving away for free. I remember we were just giving Zoom away for free. It was a free thing. Um, COVID-19 made that whole transformation of, hey, you know, the, the old the old legacy, you know, PBX, it's not broke yet. And, you know, so why, why are we even bothering to replace that? And now all of a sudden no one can go into work and you know, your, your site-to-site VPNs and extension dialing wasn't even, didn't even matter anymore. Now it's all of a sudden, like, how do people take phone calls from home? Well, they're just using their cell phones. You know, it was either a, we don't even need a phone system anymore or, you know, oh my gosh, you know, what are we going to do? Like, hurry up, you know, just, just pick a provider. And I can't, I'm sure there's thousands of nightmares, just, you know, stories out there. Um, there's a ton of really good, most of my IT directors were we're completely prepared and, and right on top of it. So I actually have a lot of really good stories that came out of COVID-19 and not any nightmares, but I'm sure they're out there. Uh, I just don't know them. They, they were the stubborn people that weren't ready for, you know, migrating to the cloud yet. But now, boom, here we are with COVID-19 and, and we're doing it. So why does it take a COVID-19 to make this paradigm shift happen? What are we doing wrong? Why can't, is it technology leadership doesn't have a big enough seat at the table yet to make a difference? People don't care. What is it? That's part of it. And, you know, since I'm in the education vector, I'm going to focus on that one. In higher education, it is a highly entrenched, reluctant to change industry. And I say that both positively and negatively. I mean, the reluctance to change, you can go into a classroom today, and if you were in a time machine, you could say, I'm 40 years ago, I'm in the same classroom. There's so little change between the products. We still have the, uh, the projector with the clear sheets yeah. that, what was that thing called? Um, <laughs> an overhead projector. Because we, well, I had an institution that I came from. Uh, Microfiche. About, about six months ago down here, we still had those overhead projectors and we would take them out of the classrooms as we needed to. But, but yeah, higher education is reluctant to change. So, and I forgot where the heck I was going with that one, but the, I'm uh, sorry, it was my yeah, fault. It was my fault. Cause I love talking about old, I love talking about old tech. It's really my fault and I'm very ADD and I'll, I'll, I'll draw you off at any point. Uh, so just be prepared for that. Oh, yeah. So no, the, what was the, the point was, is what is the reluctance? Is it because yeah. executive management uh, powers that be people that sit on the board, whatever it is, are they not taking technology serious enough? And, and is it, is it, uh, is it us as it nerd folk that are not, I don't know, are we insecure? Are we not powerful enough? Are we not stepping up to the table? Are we not saying, look, um, if it's going to be, it's up to me. I'm the one that's here to, to bring this digital transformation. And if I don't do it, no one else will. And we need to be strong enough to kind of fight that battle. Is that what it is? Or, you know, what is it? it because clearly COVID-19 did a much better job. 
Oh yeah, it's it's all of those. Um, the reluctance of some, whether it's in higher ed or in you know, for-profit business, you have executive managements who still believe that technology is there to keep the lights on, keep the doors open. I mean, it's mm. pick up the phone, ring, ring, ring. I've got a problem. You're my ticket taker. Thank you for very much for the help. Um, and then the other part of that is you've got IT middle management, senior leaders and executive leaders who have come up through the ranks of technological advancement. Mm-hmm. But then I've heard you say this before on a podcast, you know, they don't have that ability to sell. They don't have the ability to empathize and to project to the other C-level executives you know, what the vision is and why IT should have a seat at the table and why digital transformation should be going on and why it's important to have you, know, you fill in the blank. That's all part of that. And you know, mm. part of it's our fault, part of it's the, well, I, I'm going to throw that back. I think it's all our fault being IT industry. One, if we're in a business where their their philosophy is to have an IT director, and I'm not bashing my IT directors at all, but my the guys that work for me, they focus on the operational strategic. They all focus on the operational task. That is what they're there for. My job, you know, the guy that works for me, we focus on these transformational long-term thought projects, you know, digital transformation. We're looking at some other long-term Visionary stuff. Visionary. Yeah. And, you know, you need both of them. But too many of the executive Executives in IT, they are still focused on operational standards, operational tactics, operational functions, and you've got to get out of that mindset, and it's our fault that we don't. You know, for example, I'm not going to toot my own whistle up here at Piedmont, but the staff I have here on campus, one of the items that we go through with yearly training, they give me a list of items that they want to train on, certification, mm-hmm. new qualifications, new technologies, and I make them pick one or two soft skill trainings. For example, my um, help desk manager is doing ITIL certification. Um, the whole help desk staff has gone through the HDI certification process and two or three of their training modules. In fact, every one of their training courses, at least two of the modules deal with soft skill and emotional quotients. <laughs> we, should, we should have the, the Phil Howard delegation, delegation training and, yeah. and certification. <laughs> But it, it pays off though because it gets you know it gets my guys out of the mindset they're technical experts you know I I do not know a single thing about pulling cable I could not I could not configure uh-huh. a patch panel I've got a gentleman I pay well and he is extremely intelligent he handles all that for me you know in fact my technical background is in web development you give me HTML CSS and PHP and I can put together a nice page for you but you know what point I'm getting at I don't have the technical expertise to go out and run my network but I've got the ability to hire the person that can do that for me. And I'm teaching him to have the ability to go to these senior directors and put forth the projects that he knows are important. You know, here's, I'm on the, the Piedmont soapbox, for example. Um, this was done primarily before I came on board. Mm-hmm. When COVID hit, we were, we were in a sweet spot technologically. We basically took about two hours to write some scripts so that everybody could go home and reboot their machine and have everything they needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Network-wise, we're sitting on a... We've got a 10 gig infrastructure completely in place. Our um, ISP provider is giving us a one gig pipe. So, I mean, basically, as soon as they give us more bandwidth, we're ready to suck it in. We've got mm. the capacity, we've got the availability to where the kids on campus, the only complaints we get are when they're on the Wi Fi system. Mm-hmm. And it's typically nine out of 10 of the help tickets that come in are going to come back to something on their computer or something on their mobile phone has got a configuration that's, you know, the box is checked or unchecked and we fix the form and they're good to go. Mm. 
So how do we eliminate that problem? So now that's, so that's the next question. How do we eliminate that problem? (laughs) Signs in the bathroom, by the way, before you call the help desk, have you done this? Hey, well, we've got, and I know you don't mind saying uh, vendor names. We use Zendesk for our help desk platform. Uh And one of the things I've been advocating is not just to have that as the ticket taking place, but we're building a knowledge base off that one. We've got uh, on the homepage, we've got it set up with, I was able to do the HTML styling on that one. We've got these little panels in there for faculty, staff, students, Mm. Zoom category, we've got wireless category. So we're trying to educate all of our end users. If you have a question, whether it's technology related or not, if you're not sure where to go or what to do, go to this page. You start typing in your question, you're going to get a pop-up and you're going to get a chat bot that kind of guides you through some, hopefully, answers to your problem. If that doesn't do it, put a ticket in and we help you with it. What do you think? Let's just, I'm going to flip this around for once because I've always been talking about how IT needs to communicate with end users. We always talk about how end users are the challenge and every industry is different. Like, you know, the trucking industry, for example, if you've got a bunch of truckers, like that's an interesting group of end users. If you've got nurses, that's another group of end users. You've got all these different groups of end users. And I'm always asking, you know, how do we communicate with them effectively? How do we put technology in their hands that's easy to use, that doesn't cause more tickets, that doesn't create training issues? You know, the whole, we, we focus on that a lot. Just, I, yeah. I've never asked this question before. How do you think, what do you think is the best way for end users to communicate with IT staff? I mean, typically it's like, hey, can I grab you in the hall? Can I, can I do a drive-by and grab you in the hall? Can I enter up a ticket? Can I call this 1-800 number? But in all reality, I'm just curious, what do you think is the best way for end users to get what they want out of IT? That's a good question. Like you say, we always talk about how we can... Never ask that. Um, and, and I'm going to put it into a relative three-point answer because it's what we, it's what we really do here on campus. Hold on, we're going to put this three points out. I'm going to write an article about this. Three, exactly. three, hey, the yeah. three ways to communicate with your IT. <laughs> Anyways, go ahead. It, it, it's, and it all boils back to the you know, educating and collaborating and I'm going to get to the three points here in probably about 30 seconds because I always talk a lot. But one thing that I do personally, I go out to the end user groups and you know, meet with them. I learn their language. I hear their needs. I talk about their pain points. And I, we communicate and collaborate. So you know, they've got an understanding of who we are, what we are, and how we do it. Uh, so the three ways that we advocate communicating, we tell the end users, you know, if it's just a standard request, if you need to have a piece of software upgraded, if you need to have a you know, machine tuned, if you need to have an extension moved, you know, just a typical non-emergency request, go to the help ticket system. If it's something the service request can be done self-service, they're going to have the answer there. And so that's one way is get into the service request, non-emergency, go to your help ticket system. Oh, are you it, saying your help ticket system will point them towards a did you know, or have you read this first, or it will send them to kind of like the library of stuff yes. first. And if, okay, they, gotcha. yeah, and if they can't find the answer, and we're going to be incorporating a chat bot here in the next few months. So, but you know, if they can't do self-service answering, yeah. then they can submit a ticket and say, Hey, I've got this request. I can't figure out where it is. Help yeah. me out with it. And then we tell them, you know, if you've got something that's a little more critical in nature, or if it's time sensitive, uh-huh. give us a call. And we yep. put on our, we've got the, uh, the system set up. We've got soft phones. We've got the system set up to where they, um, and I forget the, the common lingo, but we basically have the, the um, 
tree, the um, phone tree set up. Yeah, auto attendant, auto attendant, or, uh, yes. yeah, gotcha. Do you guys have a, uh, do you have a call queue? Do you have like, you're number two in line. Do you guys have a call queue? Yep, we do. Okay, so you guys well, are. You're and then there. the third thing, we tell them, you know, if you're in the building, mm-hmm. stop by and knock on the door. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we, and if it's something that is a urgent situation, we'll expedite you right then and there. If it's something, you know, if somebody knocks the door and says, hey, can you reinvent our machine for me? We'll, we'll say, yeah, well, we'll say, hey, we'll take your machine. We'll give you a loaner. We'll put you on the schedule. You'll take them anywhere from two hours, maybe two days, depending on the schedule. Mm-hmm. So, no, yeah, we do, you know, service, t- service tickets, phone calls in person, depending on the nature of the uh, situation. Flipping that around, what's your, let's say, you have to call vendors every now and then. What's, and just out of curiosity, what's the worst vendor experience for you to have uh, happen? And I'm, I'm going to say it because I, I tell this vendor, you know, I'm married. I tell this vendor I'm married to you. <laughs> the the link. Well, it's an ERP vendor, and it's um, colleague. It's written by a Lucian company. Yeah. Where and the the amount of money in education and and you know, for profit business when you drop the hundreds of thousands to low millions that yep. it takes to implement and fully have operational ERP system, you better be married to him for 15 years or so. That's a once in a career move. So yeah, I told my Lucian vendor, I said, we're married to you. Good, bad, or ugly. We're not getting divorced. But I told him, I said, if I had been here when they were going through the process, you might not be here. <laughs> I mean, they're so big. They're, they're a pain in the butt to work with. You said before, it's 1-800-pound sand. Yeah, yeah. Um, trying to, and they're, they're very nice people. But having to go through the bureaucracy of their company, it is frustrating. Mm. Very frustrating. Mm. So, and as my, as far as slow and time and time to like fix things, or I'm assuming there's weird little coding issues. And I've got I've got two gentlemen on staff, and they you know they're programmers. I've got one's an Lucian administrator slash programmer. The other guy's a junior programmer, and he's report writer and a business analyst. And all they do is work with the the product we have as colleague. So they work with the colleague system and the four, we've got five periphery systems that uh, integrate in with it. And that's, you know, that's what they do. And they're necessary for the college because if we had to rely on a Lucian for the support, we would be two to three months out, sometimes four months out on the project list. And that's just, there's no way you can do business that way. So do you have, just, just all made me think to tie it back to education now, do you guys have a, and, it, it, and the reason why I asked is because I was having my sister, she's a nurse and I was having this conversation with her because I sent her a voice note through WhatsApp and she was, she was like, I, I will not yeah. click on that. I do not know what this is, you know? And I was like, uh, I was like, wow. I was like, you probably, you, you said exactly what your security guy wants you to do. I was, you know, and I'm sitting to my, you know, but she, then she'll say some other stuff that is just kind of like, you know, we're, we're way out there. She's like, look, I was, I'm, I'm a baby boomer. You know, the only computer we had in high school was the punch ticket machine. I was like, yeah, I get it. And then she was talking about, you know, her basically, you know, I guess ERP system where you were say for the hospital. Right. She's using Epic. It, yeah. They're definitely using Epic. Yep. Uh, but you know, she, it's the same, you know, it's the same exact thing, right? It's such a night, you know, it's such a nightmare and how, and, and I think in the medical industry, a lot of times I feel like the software and technology people take over and we forget on the vision, which the vision is at the end is to educate, uh, you know, for you, for your situation would be the ultimate vision would be to educate for the hospital, obviously healthcare and to, you know, and to, you know, to provide, you know, healthcare services and whatever that vision is. Do you guys tie that back in with your team? Do you guys have some kind of vision like, Hey, look, ultimately we're trying to 
we're trying to educate here. How do you tie it? How do you tie it all together? Or do oh, you yeah. think, do you think the two kind of, is that part of the, is that part of the paradigm shift? Oh, you, you better believe it. And, you know, and I like the way in our conversation, we're doing a lot more high level talking than we are nuts and bolts, but, um, you know, answer that question, how we tie it back in. I, I tell this when I'm at board meetings, I was at a all campus meeting a couple weeks ago where I had to discuss, I tell my staff here's it until they're ready to throw up. You know, everything we do, you know, the end result, everything we do is geared toward answering four questions. You know, one is the, is our activity fulfilling something that's part of our strategic plan and our strategic plan is wrapped right back into the college's five, 10 year strategic plan. So if it's part of the strategic plan, fantastic and great. We've got three questions we look at additionally. Um, is the activity going to increase the value? Is the activity going to help control the cost? Or will the activity help manage the risk? So we've got four questions we ask. I love and, it. I love yeah, it. We do have to answer. And, you know, ideally, it answer all four of them. But I've, I've yet to see anything that I've, any product that I've worked on that's covered all four activities. But we can always hit one. And sometimes we get two or even three of those questions answered. But yeah, that's, that's the litmus test. If we want to do something, whether it's a small operational task or if it's a, you know, large, holistic, multi-year transformational project, if it doesn't answer at least one of those questions, we're not doing it. That's how, I mean, that's great. Uh, increase value, control cost, manage risk. In other words, you're saying a lot of times an increased value does not necessarily mean always control cost. Or I, use, I use the phrase control cost because, you know, if you say um, contain or cut cost, no, I, I tell folks right here, I said, I have no problem spending money, but we're going to make, <laughs> sure well, make sure that we're investing it. It's going to be intentional. It's going to be well thought. And we're going to make sure that we get a good return on whatever we're spending because the spending of money, you know, the, the effect of spending money is that you're going to increase the value of your product or you're going to be able to manage your risk better. Do you guys have, in the education space, do you guys have MBOs or managed by business objectives uh, tied to IT? Do you have anything like that? We do some. Um, a lot of the objectives we have tied to IT, I look more on the objectives. Most of our objectives are tied to um, ITIL standards. Mm-hmm. We're also looking for the security at NIST standards. And then for us, our creditors are a big push on how we do the business of the college. Okay. So we're, uh, we get a little bit more specific than the uh, MBOs. So just, just curious on the, on the creditors thing. Um, yeah. Maybe just give me an, an example there of a good example. And the reason why I'm asking that also is for a lot of, a lot of IT directors out there, um, even people just complaining in general about, you know, not having a seat at the table or no one cares about IT, even if it isn't their fault, you know, all of these things. Yeah. I'm always trying to see how can we dig in and, and, you know, just look, I'm the phone and internet guy at the end of the day. Right. And, and a lot of people don't, you know, Phil, what's the big deal? You know, you're, you guys have a master agency, you know, you guys are app smart. You guys help us. We're basically like the CDW of, of the telecom world. You can help us purchase all these things. They think, you know, what's the big deal about internet? But it is a big deal when you have to call 1-800-GO-POUND-SAND. It is a big deal when you don't have the right support structure. It is a big deal when you don't have people on the inside. It's a big deal when the sales rep makes a sale and disappears after the sale and doesn't support you forever, right? And then there's a whole other aspect of that as well, which is really supporting IT leadership and what they're trying to accomplish and the level of knowledge and connections that we have throughout the technology world. And I'm always looking to give... I don't know, an extra piece of advice. And I'm just thinking to myself, if you had a young IT director that was aggressive, 
looking to grow into a, into a chief technology officer role or looking to just grow in general, how many business leaders, executives, people that are sitting at the round, time, round table would appreciate someone that came to them and said, hey, look, I want a job here or I want a raise or I want more this and I'm willing to put numbers behind it. I'm willing to tie it into the business. I'm willing to tie it into the rules because I don't know how many IT directors have MBOs or have some sort of uh, salary tied to or bonus tied to um, those four activities that you just talked about, increasing value, controlling costs, managing risk, um, you know, strategic planning. I'm just wondering if there's ways, tricks that IT directors could um, you know, maybe add to that conversation that would give them more um, you know more of that answer to why why covid 19s driving or why covid 19s driving the growth and not them Quentin, you know you said a minute ago that word trick i don't know if it's so much a trick as it is just being aware that you know and this kind of harks back to our technical nature anyway. We're all you know, tech geeks in a sense. If I'm an aggressive, you know, and I was this way five years ago, because I'm uh, IT executive management experience. I've only been senior level and executive for five years. And I basically went to a dean of the former school I was at. And I said, hey, I can do this job. I said, give me three months. And, you know, if you like it, great. If you don't. Yeah, we'll that's it. In. And she said, we're going to give it to you in three months. If you don't, if you're not doing the job, you're going to be fired. So I was aggressive that way, but you know, there's no real trick to it. You just got to sit down and one of the big things, like you said, the MBOs, if you put it in a general concept of quantify what you're doing and whether that quantification comes from internal drivers, such as an MBO, or if it's an external driver that you have to satisfy, for example, accreditors or you know, board requirements, you quantify what you're doing and then you're able to go to the board to the president, you know, to the other C-level executives and say, hey, this is what we plan to do. Here are the numbers we've got. And when you get it done, you come back and say, this is what we did. And here's the actual results. Yeah, it's almost like, an, I mean, I guess I don't mean trick as much as I mean like yeah. awareness, right? Kind of like awareness of, of what you might have in front of you. And a lot of times it's just, a, you know, we look at reports all day. Why not tie, why not tie those to ourselves? And, you know, just, just not be that, just not be a butt in the seat. Like IT really can't be a butt in the seat anymore, right? Uh, especially if we're leading the the digital transformation. Um, so, how does you know? I guess to again bring it all the way back to education uh, in your field of work. You've are you happy with you know? Are you happy with staying? You've been in education for. I mean, how long have you been in education for? Did you fall into that industry or, you know? In a sense, yeah, I've been in, I've been in education since 2006. So we're talking just you know, 13 years, 14 years now. Mm -hmm. Before that, uh, just quick history. I'm, I'm a degree mathematician. I've got my master's in mathematics. I have my undergrad in mathematics. I started my first career as an industrial engineer, which is basically uh, the lowest paid of the engineers because you're a mathematician. It does mathematical modeling and statistical <laughs> analysis. See, I was an industrial engineer, and I fell into education. Yeah. Uh, hey, look, I, I, was, I was the lowest of the lowest of a degree in creative writing, okay? So somehow, yeah. somehow I ended up. My dad was a math major, 
And then he became a doctor. He didn't even graduate college. He did three years of college and then he got accepted into med school, but he was a math major and he was also going engineering. And I don't know, for whatever reason, probably the same, probably some of the same reasoning as you, he decided, no, this ain't going to work out. I'm probably going to become a doctor like the rest of the rest of the people in my family. Uh, So that's what happened to him. But, uh, where do you see, and, and we'll, uh, I'll kind of, we'll kind of wrap this up here with if you had, you know, to other people in the educational space or right. And just in general, because everyone's, we don't know, you know, most of the people are homeschooling right now mm-hmm. uh, or dealing with whatever systems, even other teachers in general, geez, other teachers have had curriculums forced upon them and new technology forced upon them. And just, you know, just talking with people over, I, I talk with teachers just the nature of my family, for whatever reason, my wife ends up, you know, talking with someone and, oh, I teach the school. And she says, I homeschool. And you, so you immediately kind of hear this, all of this barrage of, um, you know, now we've got to deal with this and we've got to deal with this. And the teachers have been kind of barraged with all this technology and they feel overwhelmed. Their workload is actually now harder because they're not teaching in a classroom anymore. They don't get in a car and drive to whatever the school. Now they're teaching via digital technology. So now their life's actually harder. Um, so I don't, I don't even know where the question was there. I don't know. There, there's, there's a question. There's a deep question in there somewhere. I'm going to say a, I'm gonna say a but real quick. Yeah. When you, when you said that twice, their life is harder. I was thinking, but then that's the failure of their technology support. One of our fundamental jobs is not just to keep the lights on and the doors open, but we've got to enable and enhance these end users so that at the very least, their life stays the same, their workload stays the same, their stress level stays the same. You know? And at best, and it shouldn't be an ideal, it should be something we strive for and realize, we're out there making it easier for them to do the same amount of work. That's part of what we do is to not take jobs away and replace it by a robot. We make the routine task we make the job of doing what an end user does easier so that they have the time to focus on more personal interactions more high level thinking more transformational projects they can be involved with us in in a a perfect technology world that's what you do yeah we all know there's bad technology there's bad software right oh yeah we're all blown away by the by the you know by the iphone and we mean one button there's one button, like no one, you know, that, that to me still blows my mind. Right. But we all know that there's plenty of technology and just like we just got done talking about the ERP system. We all know there's plenty of things with endless problems and issues that come into play. Um, so there's obviously, there's obviously a, a, I don't know, it's, it's not a double-edged sword. It's whatever that is. There, there's a, there's a, there's two parts to it. Right. And a good IT department, a good IT leader will make it easy for them. So I'm sure there's some teachers out there. There's probably some teachers that said, no, it's awesome. Everything's systematized. Everyone jumps on Zoom. I don't have to drive into the office. I don't have to deal with, I don't know, the gossip around the water cooler. I don't have to deal with any of this. Kids show up. They either do their work or not. Um, You know, however that is. So where... Where, where is, where in your opinion is technology going with education? Oh man, that's, that's a five hour conversation. Okay. Well, let's, let's, let's cut this back and let's, <laughs> let's dig in back to where we were at the yeah. beginning. Let's say, um, what's the first part of the digital transformation that people can grab onto right now? What's the, kind of like the very first part, the first problem that we need to fix or drive? 
That, that's definitely a manageable question. I appreciate that. Um, so, yeah, in the scope of the digital transformation, you know, the <clears throat> the first two steps they're they're fundamental. They're part of the transformation, but they are not the transformation. The first thing anybody ought to do is examine and evaluate your information in your data. Digitize it. You know, if you've got paper pencil forms, you know, get rid of it. If you've got something that's analog, digitize it. Really. Well, we're still dealing with that. We're still dealing with that. Oh, yeah. Spreadsheets and papers and filing systems. Yeah. Man. And the simple thing is, you know, if you've got a paper pencil um, form, put it into a PDF. Put it into a Wufu form. You know, it's not, not going to be the end result, but that gets you digitized. And then you start to digitalize the processes that are involved around the, the paperwork you just digitized. You know, for example, in higher ed, a real classic one is your drop ad form for a student. You know, typically, the old school days, a student would want to add or drop a course. Student grabs a sheet of paper form from the registrar's office. The student mm-hmm. fills out the information on the form. Then the fun part comes. The student signs it. Student takes it to the instructor to either get signature for drop ad. Student takes it to his advisor. Oh, my gosh. Student takes it back to the registrar's office for approval. Takes it to the business office if there's any change in fees being added or reduced. Okay. If the student's an athlete, there's a good chance that student's going to have to go to an athletic advisor to make sure that the change in courses don't affect his eligibility. Mm-hmm. I mean, and we're looking at doing that. That's a process that's going to get digitalized. That's, and think of the time, think of the, think of the hours. You've got the workflow. Yeah, you've got the workflow with a logic, you know, set of logic steps and the kid fills out the form, hits the submit button, and then it's going to all the necessary parties for their signature. So you've got one step process, what takes, what could have taken days or weeks to complete takes minutes or hours. Mm. So that's the first two things. When you're doing something that's just, you know, like I said, a five-hour conversation, start with the simple stuff. Get rid of the paper and pencil. After that, start getting rid of all these manual workflows. Then you can sit down and start looking at these cultural shifts that you want to, you know, make the transformation on because you've got the foundation laid already. You've got folks that are used to using technology, that are used to being educated about how to use it, that are educated about how to ask questions about the technology. And then we got to sell it though. We got to sell it. And this is what we were talking about earlier. You got to sell it. You got to be able to tell that story or get someone to help you tell that story of, Hey, take a look at this process. This is what we did from here to here. This guy takes to here. This guy takes to here. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but this guy makes this much per hour. This guy makes this much per hour. We know labor is the biggest controllable cost. If you're an IT director, IT manager, you don't know how to talk, uh, Profit and loss, PL statement, gross margin, controllable costs. You can't speak that language better. That there, there might be one of your courses right there. A quick yeah. little business course, you know, that we make people take. You know, the, these type of things are very important. So um, uh, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. If there was um, one message or any one message you had to deliver out there to either your, your IT fellow brethren in either in, in education or just in general, what would that be? One quick message is learn to sell the services. Don't just, don't just produce results. Sell your services. Sell your team. Make yourself valuable to your institution. It's so ironic, too, because we're always shutting down sales reps every day. We're ignoring emails. We're ignoring calls. We're oh, yeah, drawing memes about them. I, I feel for them, the cold call vendor. I, I'll, I'll tell them, frankly, I said, I don't have time for a cold call right now. Please email me. 
if it's something I'm interested in, I'll go. Yeah. I, I would never email that. you. I would never email you. I might mail you because that's much more effective. I might send you something in the mail. I shouldn't give away my secrets here, right? Because I, if you ever really want to get a hold of somebody nowadays, remember how junk mail used to be like, junk mail used to be the way that you don't, you just okay. don't send junk mail. And you know, email me or something. No, never email somebody if you're not at all the most important person in their life. They're not going to open your email ever. Send them like a big manila envelope that's like bulky with something in it and handwrite their name on the front and that'll guarantee you it'll get opened. Yes, it does. Uh, that is true. It's so amazing how it's flip-flopped nowadays. I got to go back to the mail. I got to go back to the mail again. Uh, man, Brian, uh, been great having you on the show. Thank you uh, so much. And, uh, please, um, I look forward to having you back. The next, next big transformation that happens, please just let me know. We'll have you back on the show. Oh, I definitely will. Yeah. We got some stuff I'm looking on my whiteboard. I'll, I'll give you a call in about a, about a half year, nine months.